We believe that Jesus changes everything. That is core conviction to who we are as the people of God. It's the core conviction of who we are called First Norfolk. Uh, We believe that Jesus changes everything, and we are called by God and and put here in the seven cities of Hampton Roads, and, and literally our reach goes around the world so that we might help people who are swallowed up in circumstances that they can't fix, so that we might help people who are overwhelmed with um, uh, situations and, 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 and problems and difficulties that they can't resolve. We want them to get in touch with Jesus. And so God has planted First Norfolk uh, at our Kempsville location, at our Volvo location. He's planted First Norfolk in our Hispanic church, in our Vietnamese congregation, in our Russian fellowship, in our North African fellowship, in our Haitian fellowship. He has planted First Norfolk in the seven cities of Hampton Roads so that we might diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place so that we might help people who are far from God find Jesus. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. And as you are here this morning, you hear me talk about Jesus changing everything, and you might say, but really? I mean, does he really And we believe he does. The Bible teaches that he does. And we're going to be looking through the gospel of Mark over these next several weeks, examining how Jesus changes everything. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to begin here in Mark chapter 1 all the way to uh, verse 1, all the way to verse 15. While you're turning there, just tell you, when I was growing up, uh, there was um, a big bad wolf. I don't know if they tell stories about the big bad wolf anymore, uh, but when I was growing up, they told stories about the big bad wolf. And these were fairy tales that, uh, Grimm's fairy tales perhaps, but they were fairy tales about the big bad wolf, and the big bad wolf went chasing after three little pigs, right? And the big bad wolf was chasing after three little pigs to devour them, to eat them up, to destroy their life. And the three little pigs, the three little uh, pig brother one, pig brother two, pig brother three, uh, they got together and said, let's build a house and let's protect ourselves against the big bad wolf. And so they built the house, the house of straw and the house of uh, sticks and then the house of stone. Um, uh, And the big bad wolf came haunting and and slurking and uh, slurking is not really a word, but it sounds good. You write that down and add it to Wikipedia. Um, came, came, uh, 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 the, the, the big bad wolf came a calling. And, uh, and, and, and he huffed and he puffed to blow down the houses of the three little pigs. And, and that, that's one of the stories. But it wasn't just three little pigs that the big bad wolf was after. The big bad wolf was also after Little Red Riding Hood. Here's this sweet little girl uh, who's just trying to get some food to grandma who's sick in bed, and the big bad wolf comes calling. And the big bad wolf is going to devour uh, with sharp teeth and a big mouth, going to devour Little Red Riding Hood, eat up her life. And, and this, these are the stories of my childhood. You remember them, don't you? I, little, the, the, the big bad wolf was a reality. Well, here, here's the thing. I believe all of us uh, live in the land of the big bad wolf. 
I, I believe all of us have those big bad wolf encounters. Every person here, we've got that big bad wolf circumstance or that big bad wolf boss or that big bad wolf um, uh, disease. We've got a big bad wolf that is haunting us and seeking to devour our life, to blow our world apart. And so we're here today and we're facing our big bad wolves and what do you do about it? Uh, today, as we look at Mark chapter 1, I want you to understand that the Bible teaches that no matter how big or how bad the wolf may be, Jesus is stronger and greater and brings victory. Jesus re really does change everything. In Mark chapter 1, I want us to see things from a good news, bad news perspective. And again, much of Scripture is, is painted along this, this dichotomy between there's good news and there's bad news. Bad news is the big bad wolf. But the good news is Jesus, and Jesus beats the big bad wolf every time. Okay? So let's look in Mark chapter 1, um, beginning in verse 1. And I'll put on my spectacles, better with to see you, my dear. Those, some of you are like, what, 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 what was that? Uh, Google Little Red Riding Hood. All right. So Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Now read along with me. The beginning of the gospel. What's another way to describe the gospel? What does it mean? It's good news. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Can I tell you something about this messenger? His name is John. Verse 4 says John came baptizing. That's John the Baptist. You might say, well, who is John the Baptist? John the Baptist is the second cousin to Jesus. That's Verse 1, he's the second cousin to Jesus. His mother's name is Elizabeth. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, found out she was going to have a baby, she went to see Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was going to have a baby. His name is John. That's John the Baptist. All right. So now, what else is important about John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist came as the first messenger from God, first prophet from God in hundreds of years. The children of Israel, the people of Judah, had not heard from a prophet of God in hundreds of years. And John the Baptist is the first one to come in those hundreds of years. And his role is to introduce Jesus. All right? Verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness or remission of sin. And all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to John the Baptist, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. They were confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his weight, and he ate locusts and wild honey along with peanut butter. It's there somewhere. I can, I can see it. Verse 7, And John the Baptist preached, saying, the, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and to loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it came to pass, this is verse 9, It came to pass in those days that Jesus 
This is the one that John the Baptist had just talked about. Uh, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Immediately, the spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. And uh, Jesus was there in the wilderness 40 days, tested or tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts. And the angels ministered or were ministering to Jesus. Verse 14, now John, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the good news of the kingdom and said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, John uh, Mark, who wrote this, John Mark was uh, uh, one of the guys that was always on mission with either Barnabas or Paul in the book of Acts. John Mark was a young man who was rescued by God's grace through faith in Jesus, and he was a missionary, and, and, and then he became a leader in the church, so much so that he began to write this biography of Jesus. Now, he wrote the biography of Jesus, uh, and, and he was doing it for the church at Rome, all right? And, and it was around 65 AD. Now, during this time, the church at Rome was experiencing great persecution. Uh, there was an emperor in Rome whose name was Nero. And Nero was flat out crazy. He was a big bad wolf to the church at Rome. And so John Mark wanted the church at Rome to have encouragement and strength, not to be overcome by the bad news of Nero trying to kill every Christian, but to be uh, uh, strengthened and encouraged by the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he wrote this gospel to people who were living in, uh, the, in the face of bad news. When Jesus came, and this is verse, uh, verses 1 through 15, this is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And this was uh, around uh, 20 AD or something like that. And, uh, or, or 25, 26, 27 AD. So Jesus begins his earthly ministry. Now, during this time, the people living in Judea in Palestine, where John the Baptist was preaching and Jesus showed up for the very first time, they were living in, um, in, in the land of big bad wolves. And the big bad wolf there was Herod, or the big bad wolf there was Rome. Uh, the big bad wolf was that the people living in Palestine were uh, conquered by an oppressive force, taxing them to death, and they hadn't heard from God for several hundred years. And they were living in the land of the shadow of death. And they were living in the face of bad news. And in the face of bad news, God sends his messenger John the Baptist, to prepare the way for his message, his good news, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John the Baptist was God's prophet of preparation. He was the one crying in the wilderness, and it was literally a wilderness. It was also a wilderness spiritually and metaphorically. The landscape of life was terrorized by doubt and despair, by problems and pain, by misery and mourning, by anger and fear. That's the life in which the people lived, not unlike the life that many of us live today. 
In the midst of this wilderness, John the Baptist proclaimed the good news that it was on its way. He paid the road for this good news by calling people to repentance for the forgiveness of sin and symbolized that repentance through baptism. And the people came, and the people confessed their sin, and the people found that good news invading their life. This message of repentance was also a proclamation with a promise. The one who was coming, this Jesus, this good news, would baptize his people in the Holy Spirit. Uh, that, that is a picture of being baptized in the very presence of God. They would discover the good news that their despair of distance from God would dissipate in the very presence of God by the Holy Spirit. Then, out of the margins of the wilderness, good news came. Jesus came. And Jesus came down, and in succinct phrases, uh, Mark describes this encounter between Jesus and John the Baptist, second cousins. And Jesus says, it's time for me to be baptized. John the Baptist is perturbed by that or upset or confused. He knows who Jesus is. In fact, in John's gospel, we see that John the Baptist sees Jesus emerging from the margins of the wilderness life, and, and he points to him, and all those who are around John the Baptist uh, hear John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they knew John the Baptist knew, everybody who heard him say what he said knew that this guy coming was the Messiah, the one that John had prepared the way for. And so when Jesus says to John the Baptist, you got to baptize me, John the Baptist says, oh, no, 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 no. Matthew chapter 4 says that, that Jesus, John the Baptist said, I need to be baptized by you. You don't need to be baptized by me. Here in Mark's gospel, John the Baptist said, there's one who is coming after me whose sandal strap I'm unworthy to stoop down and unloose. He understood that Jesus was greater than he. But Jesus responded to John the Baptist's objection. He said, no, Matthew 4, 11, he says, no, I, I need to be baptized by you. Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus said, hey, listen, John, you've got to do this because this is what God wants. And I always do what God wants. So John the Baptist baptized Jesus and God expressed his delight in the obedience of his son, Jesus. And the heavens opened and God proclaimed, behold, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Immediately. Mark writes, uthus is the uh, Greek term, uthus. Immediately, the Holy Spirit casts Jesus into the wilderness. Why? So that Jesus in the land of the big bad wolf might defeat the big bad wolf. So that Jesus might face every temptation Satan would throw his way. In other gospels, we have three that are described. I would contend that there were more and it was a consistent temptation that the devil threw toward Jesus from the beginning of his ministry all the way to his death on the cross. But Jesus went to that testing time went to the land of the big bad wolf so that he might defeat the big bad wolf and so that victory might belong to him and to them who belong to him so that victory might belong to him 
Jesus, and to them who belong to him. As we look at this passage and as we break apart the different uh, intricate aspects of it, I, I, just, I just want you to understand what, what John's getting at. I want you to be captured by this truth. Okay? Now, all of us live in the land of the big bad wolf. All of us have those circumstances or those people or those temptations or those struggles, uh, those besetting sins that come knocking at our door that seem to always have the opportunity of winning over us. And in this moment, I just want you to know that no matter how big and how bad the big bad wolf huffs and puffs to blow your life down, that Jesus is the good news who overcomes all the bad news that might come our way. The message of this passage is that Jesus is the good news who overcomes the bad news that comes our way. There is no bad news that comes our way that Jesus hasn't already gained the victory over. There is nothing that you face, nothing this side of heaven, nothing the other side of heaven, nothing on earth, nothing even in hell that can overcome Jesus. He's already overcome it all. So whatever bad news you think you may have, Jesus is the good news who overcomes it. Jesus changes everything. So as we look at this passage, I want us to just kind of walk through how that Jesus is the good news. That's verse 1, uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, uh, the language there, if you uh, did a, a, a grammatical analysis, you broke it apart, uh, it, it means that Jesus is the good news and the beginning of good news happens whenever Jesus shows up. And if you're sitting in a well of bad news and in the land and the terrifying moments of bad news and you want good news for your life, then the only way you're going to get good news to overwhelm your bad news is to turn to Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. He is the source of good news to shatter the bad news that we face. Jesus is the good news. Now, look, we all have struggles with bad news, right? We all do. But there is no bad news that's badder, bad language, but there's no bad news that's badder than what sin has done to us. That's the worst news that there is. Now, why would you say that, Eric? Why, why, don't you understand how poverty is affecting our world today? Don't you understand how climate change is threatening the very atmosphere of our, of our solar systems? And, and don't you understand our polar ice caps are melting? Don't you understand that our economy is, is, is good today, but it can be terrible tomorrow? Don't you understand uh, that, that there are people who are living in sub-Saharan uh, climates that need water to drink? And I would say, yes, I understand all of those things, and still I would contend in the face of wars and rumors of wars, of famine and nakedness and peril and even the sword, that the greatest big bad wolf that any human being will ever face is the big bad wolf of sin. 
And that's the big bad wolf that showed up in Genesis chapter 3. It is the, the very root cause for our diseased life. It's the very root cause of our own uh, dilemma of distress. It is the, the dwelling in the land of darkness created by separation from God. What causes our separation from God? Our sin. Now, please understand, every person in this room is a sinner. All of us are sinners. Every single one of us are sinners. None of us are without sin. He who uh, claims to be without sin, the Bible calls him a, a liar. So all of us have sin. The Bible says all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But when John the Baptist began preparing the way for the good news that was coming, he began to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sin symbolized by baptism. What was he saying? He's saying, okay, we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness for our sin. The biggest, baddest wolf we're ever going to face is separation from God caused by the sin that we have done. Now, here's the problem. There's nothing you and I can do to make up for the sin we've already done. This is our dilemma. We've tried. We try to be more religious or more moral or try to be a better person or uh, try to make up for the bad by doing good. Uh, we, we, we think that somehow we're going to gain some measure of, of uh, a modicum of, 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 uh, uh, of peace or tranquility by being a good church-going person. My goodness, if you really want to get, get, get uh, measured out toward goodness, then be a Baptist, be a Southern Baptist. You know, I, oh, you know uh, that has to be good. I got to get some good ground going there, right? But here's the message of the Bible, and this is the message of Southern Baptist, whether you know it or not. The message of Southern Baptist is not get better at being better, but the message of Southern Baptist is we are bankrupt in our soul, dead in our sin and our trespass, and our only hope is forgiveness that God offers through faith in Jesus Christ. Our only hope is the good news of forgiveness. And that's exactly what Jesus has come to deliver, the good news of a forgiving love. The bad news of our sin and guilt and the shame and shackles of our sin is overcome by the good news of a rescuer named Jesus who has come to die for sinners upon a cross in their place to take the penalty and the punishment of sin upon himself, to die in Eric's place so that through his death I might live. And when the big bad wolf comes haunting at my door again saying, you are no good. Did you see the sin that you did yesterday or today or five seconds ago? You are guilty. You are filled with shame. I can respond, oh, but I have good news. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law couldn't do and is weak in the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, in Eric Thomas, who walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Friends, I've got to tell you, the good news of God's forgiving love is a good news that sets us free from condemnation and guilt. It doesn't mean we're going to live a perfect life. It just means we're going to live a forgiven life because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And Jesus is the good news that overcomes all the bad news that comes around. 
because he is the deliverer of the good news of forgiveness. He is the deliverer of the good news of God's presence. John the Baptist says that the guy who's coming, this one whose sandal strap I'm unworthy to loose, this Jesus, the Son of God, here's good news, John wrote, John declared. He said the good news is he's not going to baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's a lot of significance there, but it, at, its, at its nugget, at the very core, being baptized with the Holy Spirit means that we are immersed in the very presence of God. You see, something happens when a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. Immediately, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in us. I am no longer separated. I'm no longer living in the despair of distance between myself and God. But now, because of what Jesus has done for me, he baptizes me with his Holy Spirit so that I live in immediate intimacy with God. I am filled up with the very presence of the creator of the universe. Good gracious. And if God is for us, who then can stand against us? Come on. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. For I am with you. There is no enemy that can prevail against us when we are settled in by the Spirit of God in the very presence of God, yielded to God. He has become our shield, our defense, our fortress. And no matter how much the bloviating big bad wolf huffs and puffs, he will not blow our house down because God in the person of Jesus Christ indwells us by his Spirit and we live in immediate intimacy in God's presence. Oh my goodness gracious. And we sit around and we, we hem and we haul, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. Even though God says, I'm going to be with you. You do it. I'm going to be with you. You obey me. I'm going to be with you. Oh, but I can't. I'm so weak. No, you're not. The Bible tells us that the very spirit of God takes up residence in, all, in every single person whom he saves. That today you are literally the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. That the Holy Spirit resides within you. 1 Corinthians 3.16, 1 Corinthians 6.16, 2 Corinthians 3.16 tells us that we are the temple of the Spirit of God. The very presence of God resides within me. I live in God's presence and I can live in the good news of God's pleasure. I, it, it's, it's not just the good news of forgiveness. It's not just the good news of God's presence, but it's also the good news of God's pleasure. Jesus, Jesus didn't have to be baptized. The baptism, for, uh, re, baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sin was something that John the Baptist was doing, but Jesus didn't need any of that. Jesus had never sinned. And John the Baptist knew it. He said, why do you want me to baptize you? And Jesus says, oh, permit it to be so now, for, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Simply said, dude, it's what God wants. Let's get on with it. And heaven's opened, and God declared, behold, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, let me tell you something. That's what we all want to hear. We all want to hear the pleasure of the Father showered upon us. We, we all want to experience that wonderful, wonderful declaration of God's pleasure over our lives. But because of our sin, 
and separation from God, we're unable to please him. This is one of the greatest dilemmas of our life apart from God, apart from, uh, apart from relationship with God, is we can't please God. We want to because our DNA has coded us that way. We all want to please God. It's like a son or a daughter wants to please his mom or his dad. It is, that's why, that, that, that's why uh, when I was a kid, um, I, I, and I was a big bad wolf to my parents sometimes. I know it's hard to imagine that I, I wasn't a perfect child. I, I know that's hard to, to believe, but I wasn't. But there were those moments when I did that which is displeasing to my parents, and, and, and they would use not the rod of discipline, but the rod of disappointment on me. I'd rather take a belt than the rod of disappointment. You know the rod of disappointment. Oh, son, I'm so disappointed in you. Oh, I mean, cut my leg off, right? Cut my heart out. But it's that, it, it's, that's how we're made in our relationship with God. And it, whether you're religious, whether you're an agnostic, even if you're an atheist, you're still built. Coded within you is a yearning and a desire to please your creator and to experience the pleasure of your creator. But because of our sin, we're unable to do it. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. And there's nothing we can do to bring pleasure to God. Can I tell you, just kind of flip it here, what, what is so wondrous about this passage is that what we desire to do, bring pleasure to God, <laughs> Jesus has done for us. What, what we desire to do, bring pleasure to God, we can't do because we're incapable of bringing God pleasure because of our sin. But Jesus, who covers us with his own righteousness, brings pleasure to God on our behalf. I want you to see this because this is so, this will set you free and it will defang and declaw the big bad wolf in your life. You see, when we live in Christ, when we are living by the good news, who is Jesus Christ, who overcomes the bad news that comes our way, when we're living in Christ, we are living in the pleasure, under the pleasure of God. And that's not dependent upon how well I'm doing or how bad I'm being. It is dependent upon what Jesus has done for me. That's what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 5.21. We looked at it uh, last week or the week before. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on my behalf so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. So when the big bad wolf comes blaming me for my imperfections, what I need to do is say, I've got good news. My Jesus has covered me in his righteousness. And no matter what you say, you big bad wolf, God is pleased with me. Now, friends, we got to live under God's pleasure. This is the good news that Jesus has given us. It also means that we are empowered for obedience. So I don't, want you to, I don't want you to think I can live any way I want to. What happens is God gives us a new heart and a new nature so that we live in obedience to God. The reason Jesus was baptized was to bring pleasure to God. This is what God wants. When you're a follower of Jesus, when you receive this good news, you are now immersed in the family of God. You have a new heart, a new coding, so that your desire is to please God. But the big bad wolf is still haunting, still stalking, still blaming still shaming. So how can we please God? How can we obey him? 
And that's the good news of what happens in the wilderness. And Jesus is cast out by the devil, by, by the Spirit of God to uh, confront the devil in the wilderness. And what Jesus did in the wilderness is the good news that we receive today as his followers, a good news for daily victory. What Jesus did by uh, conquering every test that the devil threw his way, and again, it's not just there in the 40 days in the wilderness. That's what we're focusing in on, but I believe the Scripture teaches that from the moment Jesus began his earthly ministry to the moment he hung upon a cross to die, he was under the testing times of the devil, that the big bad wolf was haunting him and stalking him, seeking to derail him, and Jesus at every turn was obedient to the Father. He gave himself in fidelity and loyalty to his Father in heaven. Why did he do that? So that we, you and I, might live in the victory that he has garnered on our behalf. The victory that he purchased is a victory over test, over tempting. Uh, it's a victory even bigger than that. It's a victory over sin, but more. It's a victory over death, but more. It's a victory over hell. It's a victory that gives us life and a life that we can live each day. Now, being dwelt, indwelt by the Spirit of God, living in God's presence, being covered by the righteousness of Christ, living in his pleasure, it unleashes us to live in the victory that Jesus gives us. Please understand how this works. The good news is not that we do better. The good news is that Jesus has done it all. And when he hung upon that cross and he died for a sinner like you and me, and he gave his life's blood to cover the sin-infested uh, life of Eric Thomas, hell thought it had won that day. As Jesus hung upon a cross, hell thought that it had gained the victory. All hell began to laugh as Jesus was placed in the tomb in the bowels of the earth. And for three days, it seemed as if heaven was silent and hell was rejoicing. They had this, this, this uh, great big kegger going on in hell where they were celebrating and doing all kinds of, of crazy things because Jesus is dead and the devil has won. But then Sunday came along. Sunday came along, and as the sun began to rise above the horizon, and as the rays of God's powerful love began to shine upon humanity that Sunday morn, as God spoke, and as he rolled the stone that covered Christ's tomb away, he called to his son, he raised him from the dead, and Jesus became victorious over every big, bad wolf that will ever come our way. And that is the victory that belongs to us. Blessed! Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. There's good news, friends. No matter what bad news you think haunts you, no matter how huffing and puffing the big bad wolf may be, there's good news. His name is Jesus, and he changes everything. Would you bow your heads, please? In these next few moments, I just want to encourage you. Encourage you 
to hear what Jesus said as he came preaching in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Scripture says that Jesus came preaching the good news of the kingdom. He said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe on the gospel. Here's, Here's the key that unlocks the door for us to live in the good news who is Jesus Christ. It's repent and believe. We must repent our sin just as uh, the people all around Judea flocked to John the Baptist confessing their sin, repenting their sin, turning away from their sin, and turning toward God, we must do the same. We must set our gaze upon Jesus and see him as our only hope for rescue. You're here today, and, and you're uncertain of your relationship with God, then I invite you to repent and believe on Jesus, to repent, have a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction, to repent and turn to God by believing on Jesus. To believe on Jesus means that you understand that his death on the cross is the only hope you have in this life or in eternity. The only way that you defeat the big bad wolf is by trusting in Jesus. Seeing that he died on a cross in your place for your sin. That he was raised from the dead to give you victory in which you can walk every day a new life, a fresh start. If you're here today and you're uncertain about your relationship with God, or if you know for a fact that you're far from God and you need new life in Christ, I invite you today to choose Christ. To find your way uh, to one of the pastors, one of the ministers, and say, I need Jesus. Find your way to one of the deacons in the church Say, I need Jesus. Find one of your your, your life group leader. Say, I need Jesus. I invite you to find Jesus today, to choose him. If you're a follower of Christ, I invite you to stop listening to the voice and the noise and the huffing and the puffing of the big bad wolves around you and start listening to the good news that Jesus Christ overcomes all the bad news that comes around. Cling to him, trust in him, find strength in him. Now, Father, in these next few moments, as you speak to the people that you're drawing to yourself even now, I pray, oh God, that you would help. Help those, any in the room today at Volvo location, at Kempsville location, help them who are far from you, who, who don't have a relationship with you. I pray that, that you would give them the courage in these next few moments to respond to you by faith, that they would come to one of the ministers and say, I need Jesus today. I pray, oh God, that you would be with those who are followers of Christ and, and that you would give us courage and boldness to be a people on mission for you, living in the good news and sharing the good news that you've given us. Now, as we respond to you in this time of commitment, I pray that you would speak clearly. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.